0: Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I am your host, Hayden Grove, and we are joined, as always, by our Cavaliers beat reporter, Chris Fedor, who I hope has been enjoying the off offseason. Uh, I know the NBA playoffs are still going, but the Cavaliers are out, so I hope you've had time, Chris, to enjoy the family and to take some time uh, for yourself.
1: Yeah, man. It's been a lot of fun. It's been really, really good to kind of take a step away, recharge the batteries, and get ready for this big off season that the Cavs have ahead.
0: Yeah. And that's exactly what we're going to try to get into here. Uh, you know, just because things aren't happening now, it doesn't mean we can't look at things going forward for the Cavaliers. Plenty of stuff to, uh, to look forward to in regards to Cleveland. Um, there's a lot of places we can start, Chris. We can, we can start with the, the, the awards. We can start with um, some of the pieces that you've done. The most recent piece that you did, uh, what roster holes do the Cavaliers need to fill this offseason, How can they do it? Uh, we can get into, you know, the lottery picture. They trade it for immediate help. Um, which do you think we should dive into first?
1: Uh, we can talk about the awards really quick and then get into the next phase,
0: okay? So, Cavaliers uh, have been held out of the awards thus far. Darius Garland did not get most improved player, um, and Evan Mobley snubbed for rookie of the year behind Scotty Barnes. Um, Darius Garland actually finished third and most improved, so um some snubs thus far and it looks like you know it, it doesn't look like kevin love's going to get sixth man of the year and i don't think jb bickerstaff they're going to be held out of the awards which kind of remarkably yeah. feels um you know like it's like they've all been snubbed but the, the end of the year just really cost them in that regard
1: i think so um i also think that it's just a really really difficult year from an awards voter standpoint and there are many many worthy candidates in every single category i was talking to somebody about this in an nba front office recently when i was doing defensive player of the year hayden i started with a list of eight to ten guys that i thought were worthy of winning the award most years you probably have three or four that you think are worthy of actually winning the award there are other guys that could appear on your ballot maybe third maybe second but winning the award it's usually relatively clear cut. Um, and the same thing with most improved player. Like I was starting from a list of like five to seven players that I thought belonged on my ballot. And then I was trying to whittle it down and find the most deserving. And you can say the same thing about coach of the year. And you can say the same thing about MVP. And you can say the same thing about rookie of the year. Although rookie of the year was about three guys. Um, so it's just, One of those years where many, many players um, were worthy of consideration, and it it made it difficult for a team like the Cavs that fell apart in the second half of the season to stand out above some of these other options.
0: And I would assume that there's some recency bias. I mean, just, you know, because the Cavalier, if it was was flip-flopped, like say the Cavs got out to a really bad start and then... Um, you know, came out on fire for the second half. I think that would change things immensely too.
1: I agree with that. And and I don't know why that's the case. And it's always bothered me from, from voters looking at it that sort of way. It's almost as if some voters give bonus points to what a guy does in the second half of the season. And it's always strange to me because the first half of the season matters too. So to me, I look at the entire body of work And I'm not just going to say, well, you know, for the final 24 games, Scotty Barnes was more impactful than Evan Mobley, and the final 24 games are more meaningful than the first 50-plus. I've never personally looked at it that sort of way. Um, And I understand that some people say, hey, look, in the second half of the season, that's where the cream rises. Um, That's when teams really start taking it more seriously – that's in the middle of a playoff push, but my counter to that is always, well, a team wouldn't be in position to make that playoff push um, if they didn't actually start off well enough in order to do that. It's not like the Cavs were only great for a month of the season, or it's not like they were only great for six weeks of the season. At, at the beginning of February, they were the number two seed in the Eastern Conference. They were 35-21. and 21. That's more than halfway through the season that they were playing at that kind of level that Darius was doing the things that that he was doing and Evan Mobley was making an impact on winning the way that he was. And I just thought it was weird to me that a lot of voters seemed to give um, an added boost to what happened in the final two months of the season while at the same time ignoring more the first four months of the season.
0: Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. I think that, you know, I think as humans, we just, I think recency bias is just a thing. Like, you know, it's a, what have you done for me lately world? What, what, you know, you just see what is happening before you in front of you. And, um, you know, say Scotty Barnes goes off for 40 points one night and you see that and you're like, oh, well, when's the last time Darius Garland did that? You know, or when's the last time Evan Mobley did that? So, um, right. I, I I get I do. I get it from a human standpoint. I understand and and I agree with you that it should be the entire body of work and that you should kind of look at everything. But I think as humans it's it's nature to um to have that recency bias. And it definitely hurt the Cavs. I mean, it hurt the Cavs in a lot of ways. Um, you know, they they probably should have been rewarded for the year that they had, but um you know, given the playoff, or given the collapse in the play in given the collapse at the end of the year, uh, they just didn't have the, uh, the the horses and the strength to, to get it done. And, uh, you know, as we said, a lot of injuries played part in that, too. So it just it all plays into the what was a disappointing end to the season. But I think, again, I think what we should start to dig into now is the future, because last year is last year. The past is in the past. And. um you know, it was a really, really good run for the Cavaliers at times, but now, you know, we know they have a foundation. We know they have their big three with Jared Allen, Darius, Darius Garland, and Evan Mobley. Um, but now, how do they go forward? What do they add going forward? Mm-hmm. So that starts with the NBA draft. They have a lottery pick. Uh, you wrote a piece entitled "Should the Cavaliers Keep Their First-Round Pick or Trade It for Help?" Um, when we were yeah. talking about it a couple, probably a month ago, um, you kind of convinced me that that uh, playoff experience was more. Uh, important than a draft pick but now the draft pick is reality so now you have a lottery pick Mm -hmm. um what obviously we don't know where that lottery pick is yet probably going to be in the middle of the first round um what are your thoughts on on potentially trading that pick and what can they get if they are kind of in the middle of the pack there
1: yeah so i think what can they get thing is is most interesting Mm -hmm. um because it's a it's a late lottery pick now is there a small small you're saying there's a chance yeah there's a small (laughs) chance that it's the number one pick in the draft and there's a small chance that it's top four um but more than more than likely it's going to be back end of the lottery probably the last pick of the lottery so the value of that kind of pick it's not something that makes me think it can be the centerpiece of a blockbuster trade. Does that make sense? Yep. So the kinds of pieces that you could acquire using that as a vehicle, I don't want to throw out names because I feel like that's kind of reckless, but I, I want to give you an idea of the types of players that maybe possibly could be got for that kind of pick and mm-hmm. and I would start with Bogdanovich in Utah. Okay. Like, that's the caliber player I think we're talking about with a mid-late lottery pick. Uh, a okay. mid-first-round pick, a late lottery pick. Like, if that's going to be the centerpiece of a trade package, just the centerpiece of the trade package, like, that's the caliber player I think we're talking about here. Now, the Cavs could obviously sweeten that a little bit, Isaac Okoro has value around the NBA. Colin Sexton could have value around the NBA. Lowry Markinen could have value around the NBA. So now if you're talking about adding that lottery pick, and, and they can't trade the pick. They have to make the pick and draft a player and then trade the player's draft rights. Right. So if you take that player's draft rights, the young player, and then you combine that with Isaac Okoro, or Colin Sexton, or Lowry marketing or Jetty Osman, or another second-round pick, or something like that, then obviously the caliber player that, that you're talking about getting in return, that increases. But, but I think we have to be honest about this is a, a late lottery pick, mid-first-round pick, and, and the kind of player just on the surface that the Cavs could get back for that, like it's not going to change the direction of of this organization. It's not going to change the direction that they're going to go in the off season.
0: Well, I did just Google the uh, the first NBA mock draft I've Googled in a long time. Um, <laughs> it's it's been quite a while. I've been locked in on yeah. NFL mock drafts for quite a while, but I just uh, I just looked at the NBA mock draft and this uh, certain one from CBS has the Cavs picking in number fourteen. And getting none yep. other than Ohio State's Malachi Branham. So, yeah, um, just fun to put that out there. I, you know, things are going to change pretty drastically before the draft, but um, just fun to take a look at that. Uh, you, I think your point is is exactly right. if you if you package that pick for Colin, if you package the pick with Colin Sexton, you package it with, you know, Asgikoro, you package it with Jetty Osman. It becomes a very, very different animal. So um, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, do you think that, And we we can get into the Colin Sexton thing, and I think that's something we do have to discuss. But, um, Mm -hmm. you know, we've talked about this. Do you think that there is a player in this draft that they, I mean, even say, say outside of the top five, say they say they get a top seven to 15 pick. I mean, is there a player that can really impact them and be the player that they need, in your opinion?
1: Well, I think there's a guy that they could get with that pick that could come in and crack their rotation. Yeah. I don't know that there's a guy that they could get with that pick just in looking at it that could come in and establish themselves as a member of the core. And I think those are two different conversations because, look, the truth is, you know, the Cavs have a lot of guys under contract. Um, They don't have a lot of salary cap flexibility. We know that they're not going to be big players or big spenders in free agency. So the draft gives them an opportunity um, to add a player to this rotation, And, and it's something that they have to consider. And if the guy that is available for them at, let's say, it's pick number 14, if the guy that is available for them at pick number 14 is somebody that they think Um, can get minutes ahead of Lamar Stevens and and Dean Wade and and maybe be a better option than Jetty Osman, then I think they keep the pick, and they're happy about adding another uh, young player, but not a young player that can't play in year one. So I think they have to try and thread that needle. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, Agbaji from Kansas is – An older guy, he's further along on the developmental curve. He can shoot from the outside. So it's really more, to me, about a skill set and a bunch of traits and, and whether the Cavs can add something to this group that they're lacking. And if that comes from the 14th overall pick, then it comes from the 14th overall pick, and that's fine. But but if they look at whoever is available with the 14th overall pick and say, Hey, look, I don't know, I don't know that that guy um, brings us something that we currently lack, then I think it makes more sense for the Cavs to dangle that guy and say, What else can we get done here in a trade market?
0: Right. Well, going into your piece uh, about the roster holes and whatnot, uh, there are some names that you mentioned down there that are pretty interesting. You mentioned Bogdanovich. Um, you yeah. also mentioned Harrison Barnes. You mentioned Kyle yeah. Anderson, Joe Ingles, Covington, Warren. Are they're all free agents? Uh, Miles Bridges. Uh, you say forget Donovan Mitchell, which good. We we don't even have to enter that enter that conversation. Um, but it, you know, I think that it's still developing and it'll continue to develop. I think that one thing Kobe Altman's been really good at is jumping on opportunities when they arise. I mean, last summer, I don't think yeah. anybody really had Ricky Rubio on their um bingo card and uh, and that's exactly what happened, and he ended up being great. So I think the Cavaliers, I, I think that they probably will make a deal, and it's just a matter of um you know which deal and who and and what comes available as the market continues to um to to make itself.
1: It's just so difficult because, Hayden, you know this. The thing that the Cavs covet, the two-way wing that can knock down outside shots and score at all three levels, that is the same thing that everybody else in the NBA is coveting. Correct. So it's a crowded market with little supply. Right. And, And if teams have a guy that fits that profile, they're not readily just getting rid of that guy. They're trying to either re-sign him or they're asking for a boatload in return to even think about trading him. It was so funny because, you know, for a couple of years, Cavs fans were eyeing Brandon Ingram, right? Mm -hmm. High in the sky, they were eyeing Jalen Brown. And now you're seeing in this postseason why those guys were never realistic and why those guys couldn't be had. Yes, the Cavs need a three and D type. Yes, they need a two-way wing that can knock down outside shots. But but teams aren't just giving those guys up. And if if teams do have them, and, and you as a fan probably like that guy and think he would be a good fit in Cleveland, <laughs> the team that controls that guy thinks he's a pretty good fit for them.
0: <laughs> so yeah, exactly. it's going
1: to cost a lot if, if the Cavs are going to go that direction and try and get that guy via trade it's going to cost a lot and and probably more than what they would be willing to give up. If we're being honest, depending on who the guy is, of course.
0: Right. Well, I think we can start to get into the conversation of, um, you know, Colin Sexton, who I think is the most interesting piece that Cleveland has for a lot of reasons. He didn't play this last season. And I think he could net you a pretty significant haul in the trade. Um, given, you know, like we said, if we package a pick. So as of right now, you know, I think last year we looked at, I mean, you know, you know my feelings on Colin Sexton, and I think that, you know, there are times where I think the Cavs can be better without him, but I still think he brings a valuable, uh, very, very valuable skill in being able to score off the bench and, and coming off and, and being able to create offense. So um, the Cavaliers have a decision to make here, and it's, you know, what what, what is the case with Colin Sexton? Do do they trade him? Do they keep him? Do they let him kind of give him a different role? I mean, wh- what, is, what is the Colin Sexton thing? Where is it at right now? And where could we see it going as this uh, offseason continues?
1: I think the primary term when discussing anything related to Colin Sexton is patience. Mm-hmm. I think because the Cavs took the direction that they did when it came to last year's offseason negotiations, and they were comfortable going into restricted free agency with Colin Sexton. Mm -hmm. They knew everything that that entailed. And and part of what that entailed is the market in some ways determining what the value is for Colin Sexton before the Cavs try and figure that out for themselves. Mm -hmm. So I think they just have to sit back and they have to wait and see if there's another team out there that's willing to give him the kind of contract that the Cavs would be queasy about matching. And and if that happens, then the Cavs, I think, explore sign and trade possibilities. Mm-hmm. But but I'm not I'm not convinced that's going to happen. Yeah. There were questions, so many questions, so many questions, more than I think Cavs fans care to admit, um, when it comes to Colin. And and I've made my feelings on Colin known. And and mm-hmm. I've been one of his greater supporters. When it comes to media members, but there's also a reality that exists with Colin and the the questions coming into this year about him were abundant. And, And that was before he played 11 games. That was before he had a significant meniscus tear that has required a lot of recovery, a lot of patience, um, There are people that wonder, is he a starter or a sixth man? Like, can we have a six-foot-one starting shooting guard in today's NBA? Is he good enough defensively to guard his own position? Does his playing style translate to winning? Does the Garland Sexton backcourt work or that kind of setup with a smaller point guard and then a smaller shooting guard? Um, So I just think the truth is there are a lot of teams out there, Hayden, that just aren't comfortable, even though Collin has been very, very productive. And even though there is upside, and even though he's play, probably outplayed his draft slot, eighth overall, there are teams out there in the NBA that are just not comfortable with a six foot one starting shooting guard. Mm-hmm. And they would rather have him be a six man, come off the bench, microwave score, whatever the case may be. Um, those were the questions coming into the year about Collin. And then, like I said, he only played 11 games. So anybody investing in Colin, making that investment, and and if you're going to give him the kind of contract offer that the Cavs aren't going to want to match, it's going to be an investment. It's going to be a long-term investment. You're doing that knowing that you haven't seen him play since November. You're doing that banking on whatever kind of information that you can get from Colin's camp, Colin's agent, about the status of his knee and the kind of recovery that he's had and and what the kind of surgery he had on his meniscus is going to mean for the remainder of his career. And it's just the injury that he has now suffered has introduced a whole new level of questions that a team is going to have to feel comfortable with if they're going to make him a contract offer in restricted free agency. And oh, by the way, If a team is going to make him a contract offer in restricted free agency, their funds are going to be tied up for at least three days while the Cavs deliberate what they want to do in terms of a match. So that's another problem with restricted free agency. A lot of people don't want to take the time to formulate these kinds of contracts that the team, the incumbent team, is just going to match regardless. There are some teams that are just going to avoid restricted free agency all together because it's a pain in the ass.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it makes so sense.
1: I'm having a hard time personally finding the team out there with the requisite cap space that is going to make Colin Sexton the kind of offer that the Cavs aren't going to be willing to match. Maybe there's th- one out there that I'm missing.
0: Well, do you think, I mean, I know you just kind of said this and said the opposite, but I'll, I'll ask anyway. Um, do you think a team would would just throw throw something out there to throw something out there? Like, no. I know you said it's a pain in the ass, but no, you don't think so.
1: No, no, not at all. If if they want Colin, they have to be comfortable with the kind of contract that they're going to give him.
0: Right, right. It makes sense. It be- makes sense.
1: Because let's Go say ahead. it's Detroit. Detroit's one of the teams that has a bunch of money, and and let's say they look at it saying, "All right." we need to make him some kind of offer that the Cavs aren't going to be comfortable with because we want him they would probably have to go down a road of i don't know 40 years 80 million dollars 4 years 84 million dollars 4 years 72 million dollars whatever the contract offer is going to be Detroit then would have to be okay with the Cavs not matching that and saying that's good enough for us. That's going to work for us moving forward. They're not just going to say, all right, we're going to throw something out there and just see what happens.
0: Right, right. I mean, Because you know what if you, you get right. stuck
1: with a contract that you don't want?
0: Correct, correct. Yeah, no, it makes sense. It makes sense. It does. Um, so I, I mean, think you'd... the
1: Cavs' best approach is just wait him out. Mm-hmm. Wait out the market. See if there is a team out there that's going to offer him some annual salary around $20 million. And if the answer is yes, then the Cavs have a really difficult decision to make. Um, But if the answer is no, then the Cavs could potentially get Colin on a bargain deal, um, a team-friendly contract, um, or they could explore um, a, a, a different kind of, Salary structure related, maybe like a one-year prove-it deal. I don't know. Yep. Maybe a two-year prove-it deal, something along those lines. Who knows what it could be?
0: Right. Well, I think that that's what the Cavaliers are going to are asking themselves right now. I think that they're uh, they're definitely exploring what you know what they're going to do with this offseason, what they're going to uh, potentially look at with Colin Sexton. What are some of the others? Um, the other roster holes that you talk about. Go ahead. Before
1: we get into that, Hayden, yep. I think there's one more layer too. Because the other option is, let's say the Cavs can get Colin for something below $20 million annually. Okay, then you sign him to that contract, or somebody offers that to him, and you match that. Mm-hmm. Um, you could potentially use him as a trade asset after that. Yep. You could try and flip him around the deadline, or you could flip him next offseason if you don't feel like him and Terrence Levert can work together. Or if you feel like the, the Cavs, what they showed this past year um, without Collin was was better than than what you know he showed in the 11 games when he was trying to transition into a new role and playing mm-hmm. a different kind of way. Um, if it's a favorable enough contract that the Cavs can get him on this offseason, then he potentially becomes a future trade asset. I know it's hard to look at it that sort of way. But... It's something to consider as well.
0: I think that no matter what, I think Colin is a good piece to have, and he can can do a lot for you, Um, be it either as a player, obviously, um, or as a trade asset. um, I I think that he can, I I don't think there's any negative in what he's going to bring.
1: I think everything related to Colin has the caveat at the right price, in the right role. Yeah. And I think when it comes to this offseason, just like the Cavs are trying to figure out, OK, what is the right price? What is the proper value for a player with his skill set? Um, I think the rest of the NBA is going to have a hard time answering that very question as well and taking that kind of leap of faith. We'll see.
0: OK, I, I mean, you're I, I, you, I think you're exactly right. I think you're exactly right. I do want to move into this kind of conversation about the other um, the other uh, roles that the Cavaliers could use. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, the the top of your story, the, the photo is Ricky Rubio, and uh, I don't think there's any doubt the Cavaliers <laughs> could still use a backup point guard, uh, and I think Ricky would be a great fit. I think, um, obviously, you know, still is uh, coming back from the injury and still trying to figure out or trying to, you know, um, rehab and whatnot, but... He fit so well last year. I don't see that changing anytime soon.
1: Look, there's mutual interest in, in Rubio and the Cavs reuniting this off season. Um, but I don't know that the Cavs are going to box themselves into that corner because that's complicated. And we talked about it on the previous podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, if the Cavs, if the Cavs are going to go down the Ricky road and, and they like him and he liked it here and he would be a great fit here if, if he can return and, and play at the same level that he showed um, before getting injured. Um, he won't be healthy until November, December at the earliest. It might even mm-hmm. be later than that. So that would necessitate the Cavs navigating his absence for the first few months of the season they know that they can't put such a burden on Darius Garland once again. So the, the easy answer is okay. Just have Darius take more responsibility. Yeah. Um, they know they can't do that. So that's out of the question. Um, Karis LaVert is not a natural point guard. They learned that throughout the course of, of his two months here. Talon Sexton isn't either, although that's something they could potentially explore. I'm told, um, so, if they go down the Rubio path, that means they need a capable third point guard for those months, however long Rubio would be out. And then that player would also have to be okay with completely losing his job, basically. Because he would go from the backup point guard getting, I don't know, 25 to 30 minutes a night to being completely out of the rotation, because Ricky is the backup point guard and Darius is the starting point guard. So mm-hmm. who is that person that is good enough to be a backup, at times good enough to be a fill-in starter, and also okay accepting a lesser role once Ricky Rubio gets healthy again? Right. There aren't too many guys out there that are signing up for that.
0: <laughs> no. Nope. Well, the one that comes so, to mind is Rajon Rondo.
1: <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> No oh,
0: man. I mean, I mean, that's the one guy that I'd be like, yeah, you could probably fill him in for a game or two. But then, you know, then he'd back to the bench you go.
1: Yeah. At this stage of his career, he might be willing to accept that. But yeah. I, I don't know that I personally look at Rondo as a backup point guard type at this stage of his career. I, sure. I think he showed down the stretch. There were times where he was really, really good and really impactful. And there were other times where he was just unplayable. Yeah, I I just don't think you can have a backup point guard that vacillates that way. The thing about Rubio that was so great, there was a steadiness to his game. Even when he wasn't making shots, right? He was still impacting the game in a positive way, whether it was just getting the the team into the right sets, um, using his vision to find open guys, uh, being a threat out there on the court with a live dribble. And he was he was a quality defensive player, too. I thought he made some really, really impactful. Um, like, if you look at the way that the Cavs played at the beginning of the year, in terms of their rise defensively, a big part of it was the three seven-footers. A big mm-hmm. part of it was Allen and Mobley as two elite rim protectors. Another big part of it to me was that their backup point guard, who was getting about thirty minutes a night, was holding his own on the defensive end, and he mm. could play alongside Darius Garland. And those two guys together could get away; um, could they? They could thrive together defensively, and the Cavs were able to get away with that kind of alignment. Right. There are. And, uh, I mean, go ahead. I mean, there. It didn't work with Darius. And in Rondo, the same kind of way defensively, you know what I mean? It didn't work with Darius and Colin the same kind of way defensively. It didn't work with Darius and Karis the same kind of way defensively. Rubio brought something defensively to that particular grouping alongside Darius that was really, really
0: helpful. How impactful. And I think, I mean, I think it's tremendous. Um, how impactful is, is Karis LeVert? I mean, the way that he plays going into next season, I think that he's probably a huge question mark, but also could be a huge help yeah. if he finds himself again. I think we kind of, you know, at times I forget about it because he didn't play very well for down the stretch. And he'd said after the year that, you know, that he'll be better. He'll be yep. promised He'll be better. And, you know, you now have a whole off season. I don't think the Cavaliers are going to give up on him anytime soon. I think they're going to try to get that out of him this year. Um, So uh, how impactful is he? I mean, how impactful is he on this group? I think he's tremendously, I would call him kind of an X factor as to what the Cavaliers want to be.
1: Well, I was talking to somebody in the front office about this the other day, actually. And the way that it was phrased to me is that it's not like the Cavs are banking on him being great after Mm -hmm. what they saw in in the two months that he was here. But there is internal optimism. That, they, that the guy that they saw for those two months is not the real Karis LeVert. And the guy that they're going to get in 22-23 is going to be much better. And it wouldn't surprise anybody inside the organization if, if Karis LeVert goes from below average to above average based on what the Cavs have seen. Right. And, and I do think it's a wild card because Karis not only does he impact, in some ways, the Colin Sexton decision, but obviously the Cavs need a two-way wing. And if the Cavs feel like Karras can fill some of those minutes at the three, and then it can be Markkinen at the three as the starter, and Karras taking a lot of those backup three minutes with a little bit of Lamar Stevens mixed in, however you want to fill up the, the, the 96. Um, or excuse me, the 48 at the three spot specifically. Um, then you know that kind of changes some things moving forward with with the setup of the roster and the um, just like how compelled the Cavs would be to try and make a trade for a two way wing or. Um, go out in free agency and make that their big spend up option. Carris being able to play the three if they feel that is possible is really, really interesting in this equation.
0: It's almost like if you blended Keris and Larry Market together, you get you get a pretty damn good. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the guy that could shoot from outside in Lowry and size and then you got Karis who's, you know, better inside the uh, inside the arc. It's uh, it would be tremendous, but that's not how it works. So maybe they'll try to, you know, blend yeah. them together on the court or something along those lines.
1: But I'll say this, Hayden, if if there is a two way wing that becomes available around the NBA, the Cavs will be interested
0: mm-hmm. and
1: they'll make calls to see what it's going to cost
0: right they've made a uh, they've made a a living over the last couple of years on on just that guys that become available and all of a sudden boom you know Kobe Altman's right there on the yep. phone and um i don't i don't think that'll change i mean you saw it with Jared Allen you saw it with Ricky Rubio um yep. i think that they would absolutely be in the running so i think you're exactly right um as we get further and further into this offseason we'll have plenty of time to discuss this and more but just wanted to get a general framework of of what's going to happen with this offseason. Anything else, Chris, that you wanted to get into um, as the offseason continues here?
1: No, I mean, I think the two obvious need areas for this team are backup point guard and what they decide with Rubio is going to depend on um, a number of different factors. And I think one of the factors, Hayden, when it comes to the Rubio situation is, do the Cavs feel like they can be competitive in free agency and, and, try and get one of these guys that, that I talked about in my piece, whether it's mm-hmm. Memphis's Tyus Jones or DeLon Wright from the Hawks or Goran Dragic, who looks ready to leave Brooklyn after dealing with all the stuff that he had to deal with, um, when it came to being a teammate with Kyrie and, and KD and, and being in that market and all that kind of stuff. Like if the Cavs feel there is a real possibility of their mid-level exception, netting one of those kinds of guys, then maybe they decide we're going to put the Rubio plan on the back burner. It's more important for us to have Pius Jones, DeLon Wright, Goran Dragic, one of those kinds of guys. Um, Goran Dragic, would, and the would other s-
0: thing. Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say Goran Dragic would fit perfectly, given that uh, he's Slovenian and yeah. Cleveland's got the largest Slovenian population <laughs> outside of outside of uh, outside of Cleveland. So,
1: I was thinking his shooting reputation, his big game reputation, his passing ability, and you go straight uh, that, to the Slovenian population.
0: Well, it's because I'm Slovenian, but that that's <laughs> uh, that all that all matters too, of course. <laughs> the The on court stuff matters at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the
1: other thing to consider when it comes to the Cavs this offseason, there are three guys that are essentially untouchable. Yeah. So if, if we're talking in general terms about the Cavs trying to make an impact trade, understand that Darius isn't going anywhere, Jared's not going anywhere, Evan Mobley's not going anywhere. So that means the centerpiece of any kind of package would have to be either Isaac Okoro, Karis Levert, Colin Sexton, Larry Markkinen, whoever you feel like would bring back the most in return, a future first-round pick that's unprotected, a couple of second-round picks, whatever the case may be. And then that package that the Cavs could create would have to beat out the other teams that are assembling whatever they feel like they can offer in order to get X player. You know what right. I mean? Let's, yep. say it's, let's say it's Jeremy Grant of the Detroit Pistons. Okay, if it's well known that he's available and teams are okay with the fact that he's going to want a hefty contract extension and the, pist- the Pistons are asking basically multiple first-round picks or a first-rounder and a young ascending player on a rookie contract, what if there's a team out there that has a young ascending player on a rookie scale contract that is seen as more attractive than Isaac Okoro. What do the Cavs do then? Great. They don't have anybody else that they could include. Unless whoever it is they draft at number 14 in the lottery or wherever that pick is going to be, is considered more attractive to the Pistons for one reason or another. So a lot of these guys that could be made available this offseason there's going to be interest beyond just the Cavs. And right. the Cavs are going to, have to, they're going to have to win that fight. And it's easier to win that fight when it's not free agency, right? When the guy almost doesn't have um, any kind of say in where he goes, and it's just about putting the best package together to entice that particular team. But if the Cavs are taking their top three um, um, trade assets and the most appealing pieces of their young core off the table completely, that's obviously going to limit um, the, the, the caliber player that the Cavs can get back in this trade. So, I mean, there's a long way to go in this offseason, but the vibe that I get right now is that the Cavs are most likely to run it back as they were constructed last year um, with a few improvements, along the way, and, and hope that you know, better health and internal development from some of their younger players is something that is, is going to make a difference. Not the difference, not the only difference, but enough of a difference that they then justify
0: some of the other minor moves that they make. Yeah, I don't think they need to overhaul anything. I think that, that, you know, when you look at them, I think that they have a lot of good things going on. And I think they have a lot of good, um, a a great foundation. And I think if you get something better from Karis LeVert, that'll change a lot of things. And Colin Sexton being healthy potentially could get you, like I said, or like we said, could get you another piece, but also could be graded on his own. Um, Isaac Okoro, you know, not the best year last year, but look what happened with Darius Garland. He's taken the steps, so um it can right. happen with He's them going as well. into year three yep yeah so I, I have no problem with them running it back i don't um but i think you're right minor minor moves and if they can find a two-way wing which is like a unicorn um that would also help right
1: right if they right, can co- find a two-way oh, wing that if they can find a two-way wing that doesn't require them to, to completely dismantle what they feel like is a promising future yes. then i think they definitely explore that and and yes. maybe even finalize some kind of deal there you go um, but you have to ask yourself of, of some of these pie in the sky names Bradley Beal Donovan Mitchell DeJounte Murray uh, one those guys are going to have a lot of interest around the NBA so the the Cavs could they win could they win that battle and come up with the best offer for those guys and two are any of those guys or all of those guys Um, worth, you know, shaking up significantly something that looks to be very, very bright moving forward. Right.
0: It's all part of it.
1: It's a fragile thing.
0: It is definitely a fragile thing all right um thank you for joining us chris appreciate you as always we'll be continuing to pod this off season um as the cavaliers you know as the playoffs continue and as things you know continue to progress with the cavaliers a lot to get into a lot that's going to happen i mean you know I'm, we're not assuming that the cavaliers are going to be super different but you never know kobe Altman could have something up his sleeve yeah. or something that could, could you know come their way and, and they should be ready for it so Appreciate you, man. Thank you for joining us. Um, and thank you to everybody out there. Be sure to go to cleveland.com slash Cavs. At the top of that page, you will see a blue banner that says, um, get text from Chris Fedor, $3.99 a month. All your Cavaliers Insight News analysis sent straight to your phone before Twitter or anywhere else. So if you want the to want the cutting edge on what's happening with the Cavaliers this offseason, do that. cleveland.com slash Cavs. Click the blue banner at the top of the page and get yourself signed up. Chris, anything else?
1: No, that's it, man.
0: All right. Well, you continue to enjoy yourself, enjoy the little one, enjoy your family, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good, buddy. All right. Thanks so much, everyone. Have a great day. We will talk to you soon on the Wine Wine and Gold Talk podcast. Take care.